How fashion and luxury will evolve in the face of disruption brought on by the pandemic, new technologies, and environmental and social concerns is a question top of mind for the industry. What will fashion look like in two, three, or 10 years time? To answer it, we're spending 30 minutes each week with industry innovators leading the way through a changing landscape. I'm Hilary Milnes, and this is The Future of Fashion, The Innovators by Vogue Business. This podcast is sponsored by PayPal, the most trusted buy now, pay later brand, according to a recent survey, which gives merchants access to PayPal's 377 million users worldwide. Learn more at paypal.com slash paylaterenterprise. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Future of Fashion, The Innovators by Vogue Business. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes. The younger generations of customers have different shopping habits than generations past. They're digital natives, channel agnostic, and seek out companies that share their values. Retailers need to be thinking about how best to meet this class of young millennials and Gen Z customers to build the next generation of loyalty. Online, offering options that suit a variety of situations is the best way to win. Here today to discuss the ways Gen Zs and millennials want to shop for fashion online is Jenny Campbell, CMO of Kate Spade, and Greg Leshesky, VP and GM of Global Paylater Products at PayPal. The sponsored episode of the Vogue Business Future of Fashion podcast is brought to you by PayPal. Welcome both. Hi, Hillary. Nice to see you. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Of course. So Jenny, tell us about your role at Kate Spade. You're relatively new to the company and what's your scope? How did you, how did you dive in? Yeah, let's see. So I'm the CMO of Kate Spade, as you said. I've been about seven months in the role at this point. And as CMO, I'm responsible for all aspects of brand marketing, including our marketing strategy, our brand creative, PR, and our digital community building. So before I came to Kate Spade, I spent seven years at Nike. And after that, I was CMO of Tinder for two years. So both of those roles were really very Gen Z focused. At Nike, we were obsessed with speaking to the 17-year-old athlete. And as CMO of Tinder, we focused a lot on 18 to 25. That was really our sharp point, both college and post-college, really wanting to make sure that that was a great experience. So when I came to Kate Spade, it felt really natural to speak to a younger consumer as part of our mix. You know, Kate, very similar to Nike, has a wide range of age groups. It's such a democratic brand. And there's all kinds of, you know, we have generations, grandmothers buying their granddaughters their first Kate Spade purse. Um, but whether or not Gen Z is your primary consumer, they definitely set the trends and they drive brand heat. And when you look at where trends start and where things go viral, it's almost always with Gen Z. So it makes a lot of sense to pull that into your marketing mix. Right. And, and so you started during the pandemic, of course, in 2020. And as you were getting started, you know what type of online customer behavior were you paying attention to? Um, I think in the past year, we've seen things like live streaming on Instagram or TikTok uh, really coming to the forefront, video shopping as part of that, and just you know big spike in, in shopping online and through multi-brand retailers and from brands directly. How did you kind of take stock of the ways that customers were shopping online, especially those younger consumers who are, who are driving the trends? One of the first things I noticed when I came on to Kate was just how passionate the digital brand community is. They're speaking directly to us. (laughs) They're uh, really trying to get our attention. Um, I was seeing it a lot on TikTok, which was an area where we weren't really focused at the time. But you would see our consumers go and buy something at a store and get into the car and immediately make a TikTok video. Just be like, oh my gosh, (laughs) look at this amazing thing I got. And we had so many things go viral one right after the other. We first had this heart-shaped bag that just went crazy viral. 
And we had almost always our novelty product, which is just really unique and interesting, a butterfly bag, um, just all kinds of things like that were starting to go. And I was like, wow, there's something really to this. In China, we're definitely seeing live stream take off as well. I think it's a coming along a little bit slower in the U.S., but it's still something really interesting there. But that idea of speaking directly to consumers is just so there. They want to speak with us. They want to tell us all about it. They want to tell their friends. And whenever we put, um, I would even say like a sales associate up on our social channels and have the sales associate talk about what's new in the store and take someone through the store in a video, like those things go surprisingly crazy too, because I think that direct communication is really what people are seeking. And definitely for Gen Z, I think they're just used to it. They want to speak directly to brands. So that was a big thing I saw very early on in the job. And Greg, from your perspective, what type of customer behavior are you paying most attention to when it comes to Gen Z versus older generations? When you're speaking with brands and retailers, you know, what's kind of the biggest thing that you're saying, okay, you need to respond to this? You know, here at PayPal, I focus on our pay later product. So it's a lot about how we're helping uh, Gen Z and you know other demographics, but real skewed towards, towards younger shoppers, um, you know, get items they want or or need in a moment and, and flexibly pay for that over time. And it was growing prior to the pandemic, but since the pandemic, it's really exploded. And you know, I think there's two primary drivers of that. First was the pandemic at the onset just created a ton of uncertainty. So everyone sort of said, hold on, what's going to happen next week or next month from a personal finance perspective? Am I going to have a job? Am I going to get paid? And there was a sense of like, let me manage my cash in, in a more prudent way, yet do it in a way that bring certainty to sort of cash outlay over, over coming weeks. And then you dovetail that with, with Gen Z has grown up essentially in a subscription lifestyle. So the idea of paying some amount of money periodically, whether it's every two weeks or every month, is just a natural order of business, whether it's for consuming media, curated wardrobes, other types of activities. It's, it just fits the way they're used to managing money. So the idea that they go and buy a purse or a pair of jeans or a pair of vans, and it's you know, four payments of $25 or four payments of $50, just really fits with this subscription lifestyle that, that you know, the, the world's moving towards, but Gen Z is moving towards it much, you know, much faster. And I think the other part of it is digital natives, if you will, are, are just really locked in on both capturing value, but, but in transparent ways and, and with brands they trust and share, you know, share a sense of, uh, of pride around about the value and core of the, of the company. Um, and then last thing is the control that something like a pay later solution offers in that you uh, you know exactly where your money's going and it removes the concern of sort of coming into big debt or paying you know, high interest, et cetera. Yeah, and how do you see the proliferation of, of buy now, pay later linking to retail trends? You know, especially if you look at a consumer group like Gen Z who are very, very normal to them, um, whereas other generations might have had to learn it. They might have been skeptical of it. If you focus in on the youngest generation of customers who you know started shopping online and this was kind of part of their of their routine, how does that tie into to retail trends? Yeah, well, it's it's one of these things that's here. It's here to stay, and it's going to become a more important part of sort of retail shopping behavior. You know, one recent study that was conducted for us by Forrester showed that you know, 21% of sales are now coming from buy now, pay later providers. It's essentially moved from a nice-to-have feature for a retailer to, to essentially a must-have. a must have. Another point in that survey was that you know, millennial and Gen Z customers were 28% uh, more likely to shop at a merchant again if they had a buy now, pay later offering. 
you know, moving with the way paying, the paying part of, of shopping, you know, the least fun part uh, will emerge. And then I think over the next year or two, you'll continue to see that accelerate, not just from an online commerce perspective, but this, you know, this blurring, you know, finally the sort of realization of the blurring of offline and online that you know, in many ways, the pandemic helped accelerate as well. You know, there's the McKinsey study from looking at the first quarter of the pandemic last year, where you know, depending on the article you read, it's five to 10 years of acceleration from a, from a behavior perspective. The technology had been building and building and building. The, the thing that's typically slow is changing consumer behavior. And when you have hard constraints, like you can't leave your house, or if you can leave your house, you can't go into the store. You know, those hard constraints really, really drive behavioral changes that otherwise could take a really long time. And and Gen Z, you know, growing up with the comfort of you know, technology, mobile experiences, et cetera, I think, you know, often as as Jenny mentioned, lead the way in terms of driving those behavioral changes. This in this case just pushed, I think, faster and further through older demographics than than otherwise we would have seen. And Jenny, how does this play out in, in Kate Spade's e-commerce strategy, digital strategy? I'm sure you know, I think we've all kind of come to the realization, even now post-pandemic, it's, you have to have this robust online store, but you also need to have, you know, your robust store network. Um, and I know Kate Spade is bet- between both. Um, how have you been, you know, focusing in on e-commerce and, and the capabilities that are needed there to really rope in that that customer, whether they end up buying online or in-store? I would echo so many things that Greg just said right there. But, um, you know, e-com for us is, a huge platform. And I would say, again, it's nice to be somewhat new to Kate because you can look at things with fresh eyes. Like I was pretty amazed at how powerful the digital engine was for Kate, even before the pandemic. Even if you look at Q3 for us last year, which is January through March of this this year, like um, we had 48% of our new customers coming in through digital in North America. So like that's that's a big, big number. And to Greg's point, like you got to make sure that you're giving them that service that they're expecting for. So similar to what Greg was saying, we're definitely putting in payment options that help with some of those things around the buy now, pay later model, just because I think it reduces that pain point of entry point into a brand sometimes as well. During the pandemic, we saw a lot of success with a program that we actually put into place before the pandemic, but just accelerated quite a bit, which is basically you can buy online and pick up in store. A lot of consumers like the immediacy of having a product right away. So being able to browse online and then be able to go and and get it immediately from the store actually took off quite a bit. So that idea of, um, you know, that Omni experience of like you might go to several, you might go to e-com to do your research, but you might want to go to an outlet store because it's like a day away with your friends and you want to go and pop around to all the different stores. Like we're definitely seeing the consumer move really seamlessly through all the channels. So for us, a lot of the focus has been like, how do you stitch that together in a, in a way that makes a lot of sense so that no matter what the context is of which form of retail they're coming to you for, you have those services for you. So you'll see us do a lot more digital services, direct sales associate support on our digital sites. For our physical sites, um, we make sure that we have really good clienteling tools so that obviously they can get served when they're in the store, but when they leave, we can also make sure that we are contacting them in the way they want to be contacted. So all those things are coming into play. Yeah, I'm interested to hear that customer service piece because when you think about it, a lot of this does fall under customer service. Do you see that as as fitting into the marketing strategy and the marketing approach, um, especially when it comes to those clienteling tools um, that I think have really been rethought in the past year? 
client telling tools when they're not done well seem really automated and like robots, and that can be a really bad customer experience. And so for a brand like Kate, which has such a welcome with warmth mentality to the brand, you really want to think about how you do that in a way that feels brand right. So anytime, again, like I said, we put our sales associates in a situation where they can actually um, talk about the product, talk about what they get excited about, that authenticity is amazing. They're probably our best brand ambassadors and people really respond to that. We do a lot of like handwritten notes <laughs> and reaching out and like, um, you know, I think it sounds cliche to say, remember someone's birthday. I would say that Kate goes a little bit farther where they actually remember anniversaries and, oh, I remember that you said that your granddaughter really loved this. So I wanted to just let you know that this was in because I think she would really like it from what I know about her. And our sales team does a really good job of that um, homey feel, I would say, and that hand hand touch. Right. And, and I think when you partner that with the more technical tools like buy now, pay later or um, buy online, pick up in store, it, it kind of paints the whole picture. And, you know, going back to that in-store versus online approach, um, Greg, do you see the next step for these types of payment options like that are pretty digitally native taking place in stores as well? Yeah, it's 100%, Hillary. And it's it's kind of full circle if you think about the history of, of financing from a retail perspective. You know, it's been around for decades. You know, it typically just was used for bigger purchases first. You're buying like a durable good, a washing machine, a furniture, you know, a, a big screen TV, to use a bit of an archaic word. Then it morphed online in traditional financing methods. So still towards medium to larger purchases. You know, the big wave over the last couple of years has been this more uh, you know, low to medium AOV products like pay and for from PayPal and others in the market where you take a hundred or a two or a $300 item um, you know, or more, but the average sort of fits in that range and turn it into four payments of $50. And that's been highly digital focused on e-commerce. But there's the pull is is clear that you know Gen Z and other demographics want, want that type of flexibility wherever they're buying their goods or services. And you know, I think you'll see it you know, as the world blurs even more, pay, the, the buy now, pay later features will follow that and it'll go across verticals. So apparel, fashion, beauty, or some of the early category leaders from a vertical perspective, I think you'll start to see it. And we see this at, you know, one of the nice things about being at PayPal, you know, is we have 20 plus million merchants on our network, you know, tens of millions in the US. So when we turn a feature on in our wallet versus merchant by merchant, we can see across a really wide swath of different verticals from a retailer perspective. And we saw a bias or skew, if you will, to, to the categories I mentioned, the you know, fashion, apparel, et cetera. But we also saw it go into automotive, home equipment, whether it be office equipment or gym equipment. You know, there was a that massive rise in gym equipment at the beginning of the pandemic. So, so I think you'll just see it spread out from a vertical perspective and then go full channel, which you know, back to the opening comment, it was really a return to where to where financing financing started. Just I think obviously far better customer experience uh, enabled by mobile and other technologies, far more transparent oriented products. There's a real democratization happening of financing. It used to be big banks working with big box stores uh, because because they tended to be heavy, cumbersome type of relationships, and it wasn't worth it to a bank to sort of support a main street or a mid sized retailer and technology, you know, and, and this has been part of PayPal's core mission forever, is to democratize financial services on both sides of our network, consumer and merchant. That's that's where technology is really helping merchants of all shapes and sizes 
Um, and therefore, when you help all merchants, you help all consumers. So you're know, really excited to see and be part of the continued evolution of, of the space. And on that note, it's it's a very competitive space right now. I, I think it's one of the biggest trends that people are watching in, in terms of retail tech and fintech. How does that level of, of competition, just the numbers of players in the space, help PayPal focus in on the brand relationships, the, the customer service? Is it almost like a, a rising tide, uh, keeping everyone on their toes? Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the positive of competition is it does not only keep everyone on their toes, but it keeps us sharp in terms of innovation and realizing that, you know, it's really about the customer being at the center. And in our case, customer could be merchant or or consumer. It really is a sort of two-sided product. And that's all great. The, the downside can be, if, if you're particularly, well, you know, I'll let Jenny speak for the merchant side, but, you know, if you're, it could be for a merchant, but certainly for a consumer, which one do I go with? What's the difference between offer A or offer B? And, you know, that's where, that's where at PayPal, we, we think we offer some pretty big advantages in that we have really great uh, established trust given our multi-decade position in the, in the digital commerce space. A recent study we did said uh, 53% of young consumers, you know, that 18 to 39 bracket trust PayPal to keep their financial information. You know, I think when you look at like top uh, monoline buy now, pay later providers, that number's in the low single, single digits. So that trust is really important. The other part of it is because we have such great distribution at PayPal from a merchant perspective. So the yellow, you know, the yellow, if you boil PayPal just down to a yellow button that you see on merchant sites to get into a, a checkout experience, you were pretty widely distributed after you know, doing this for so long. And what that means from a pay later perspective or a pay and for perspective is we're essentially everywhere consumers are going to shop, you know, with one big notable exception, which is half of e-commerce. For consumers, what that means is if they're going to buy their purse at one merchant, you know, they don't have to worry about, well, what, what buy now, pay later provider is going to be there. And then they want to go pick up the pair of vans at another merchant. And it's like, well, I might have a different provider there. And then I'm you know buying you know, something else at a, at a different retailer. All three of those retailers are more than likely to have a PayPal button. And what that means from, from a consumer perspective is I don't have to worry about the noise of vendor one or new buy now, pay later provider one and two. As long as PayPal is there, I know I can you know, click through the PayPal button and, and pick a pay and for option in, in wallet at all, all three retailers. You know, I know Kate Spade has, within the tapestry framework, um, a big emphasis on creating customer data profiles and really understanding that that full picture of the customer. Um, Jenny, how does that relate to how you are making your decisions? You know, are you watching, okay, this customer came in, that's their first time purchase, they're they're going with the buy now, pay later option. Um, does that help? Is this something that is factoring into the overall picture of customer behavior and, and um, you know, new new shoppers on the site? I think with any time you do consumer insights, you're trying to figure out how to serve your customer better, right? And so making sure that you understand what they need from each channel and being able to serve that to them. So are they coming to do research? And as they're going through the site, are there ways that you can help them be able to do things for research, whether that's create a wish list or be able to share with a friend or be able to do things like that because you can see that that's their need for service there. Um, it's also just interesting, too, for myself as CMO, when I look at even just what our consumers want and look for us for our different social channels, it's just really different. So you have to really tailor your content based on the needs that they have. Like, for example, for Instagram, they really like, they want to, it's like a lookbook. They want to see beautiful product, show beautiful ways. Whereas 
YouTube, they're really looking for like long form video content that gives them tips about hosting or about gifting or they love unboxing videos on YouTube and TikTok's really about entertainment. So I think when we when we think about like consumer insights and how we use data, it's really about how do we make sure that we serve the consumer, meet them from where they are so that we can really help them get what they need from us at that moment. Because sometimes you may not need to immediately buy something right then and there, but that's just like the first part of a journey. We want to help you there too. Right. And and how does this all ladder up to the, a changing role for, for the CMO um, at a fashion brand? You have so much to take in, into consideration. You know, how do you think that the role has changed and, and where do you see it going um, from here, especially as, you know, customers are going back into stores, we're returning to somewhat normalcy? I would say the biggest shift for myself in marketing over the last couple of years is just the amount of content you need to be able to create and the amount of storytelling because each channel requires a certain different level of it. And again, like Kate is such a storytelling brand. I think it's one of its strengths. So how you weave that story through um, a retail experience when she's walking through a physical store and meandering through the different pieces so that you get that story of how this collection hangs together and why it's interesting is a is a slightly different skill set than how you might look at how you storytell on TikTok, <laughs> because it's just that's um, that's almost like where you're leaning into your consumer fan base to tell your story for you versus having it be a top down thing from the brand and having to have that those two opposite poles of like top down storytelling where you're controlling, let's say the message to like being brave enough to give your brand over to consumers to have fun with it and engage with it and make it their own. That's probably one of the bigger shifts I've seen from a marketing thing on like how people want to engage with our product and our and our selling experiences. Greg, what what comes next in this space? You know, what predictions do you have for the future of, you know, Gen Z's shopping behaviors online? And I'm interested to hear what what you'll be paying attention to next. You know, one of the things Jenny mentioned, I think personalization is really important. It's taking the next step from a data perspective where where we have the consumer permission to use it and making sure we're putting the most relevant payment option in front of the customer for the context of you know, the situation they're in, both you know, from a literal retail perspective as well as you know, personal financial perspective. I think there'll be a real focus on, you know, as, as buy now, pay later specifically, it continues to grow and expand. It is a form of credit. Uh, so it's there's a real responsibility with, that comes with that. And we take that very seriously. And I think you'll see you know, regulators increase the level of scrutiny on it. You know, this is you know, the non-fund side of of the space, but it's a really important part. And I think goes to hand in hand with building that trust you have with consumers. And then it's important for the trust that merchants place in you by essentially sharing their customer with us to accept payment and then manage that payment experience post-purchase, given that it, it, you know, it doesn't stop with the, with the order and the shipping of the goods. So those will be probably the big things we'll focus on. And then, you know, it's always staying in touch with your customers and making sure you're meeting their needs or, or at a minimum identifying what, what, what you're missing and then trying to get their uh, best and first. Thank you, Jenny and Greg. Big thanks to you both for being here today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Hillary. Join us next week for the final episode of this season of The Future of Fashion. You can find all our shows from this series on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Vogue Business website. For more coverage on The Future of Fashion, subscribe to the Vogue Business newsletter at voguebusiness.com. My name is Hillary Milnes. That was The Future of Fashion. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by PayPal the most trusted buy now, pay later brand, according to a recent survey, which gives merchants access to PayPal's 377 million users worldwide. Learn more 
at paypal.com slash paylaterenterprise. Thank you.